This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. As we welcome you along to the programme, we emailed corktoday at c103.ie. A number of housing stories uh, making the papers uh, today and making the news headlines. And I suppose uh, the big one is the cost of building a typically fa- a typical family home. And I don't think anyone's going to be surprised to see how much the cost of building a home has shot up in the last three uh, years it now costs so much to build. Now, there, it, it's a very much an you know a typical family home. They're talking about a standard three-bedroom semi-detached house. They're looking at it from both a Dublin point of view and the rest of the country. Uh, in Dublin, if a couple would like to build a house, they would have to have a combined uh, salary of at least €128,000 in order to be able to uh, afford it. That really is incredible. Surveyors have calculated that the cost of a three-bedroom semi in Dublin is €461,000 and that's gone up by 90000 just in the last three years. Now, it's a survey and some research that's coming out from the Society of Chartered Surveyors of uh, Ireland. And when you break that down, it means the cost of construction has soared by 24%. The research shows construction inflation is now biting hard for builders. It's due, of course, to high material costs. They've got rising energy prices and, of course, in those last three years, we've had rising fuel costs as well. The report is called The Real Costs of New Housing Delivery and it puts a, a similar three-bedded, semi-detached house anywhere else around the country. The average outside of Dublin will be €397,000. Builders are also being hit with increasing land costs. There's higher finance costs and that's of course obviously due to the interest rate uh, increases and there's also been an uplift in uh, professional fees. So the chartered surveyors report found prospective first-time buyers need an average combined salary of €95,000 to get a mortgage anywhere outside of Dublin. So close on 100000 for a couple. And that's, you know, that's what they'd have to be earning. And on top of that, then they'd have to have got their deposit together, uh, etc. And by the way, those figures of almost 100000 and 128000 if you're in uh, Dublin, they actually include the supports that the state gives 
in the help to buy schemes. Now, analysis showed the Midlands and the North West, they're the cheapest areas if you're trying to build or buy a new house. Uh, the least affordable areas for the average first-time buyer outside of the greater Dublin area then is the Galway uh, region and ourselves here in uh, Cork. One of the report's authors said the impact of COVID-19 and the conflict in Ukraine, they've all been main contributory factors to the increase in what they call hard costs over the past few years. And hard costs are things like the materials that you need to build the house, all of the site works, all of the uh, development uh, works. And they say the main hard cost drivers has been energy, fuel and shipping costs. The cost of various building materials, particularly concrete, insulation, electrical and plumbing products, steel reinforcement and timber products, all of those have increased dramatically over the last uh, three uh, years. The good news is, I suppose, that uh, despite cost inflation, the quantity surveyor or the charter surveyors are indicating the prices are uh, leveling off. But when we talk about the hard uh, costs, which is, you know, all the actual material, that comes in at 53% of the overall cost of building a house. And then it's the soft costs. And that's your, your you know, the price of your land, the, the levies, the, the financial costs and VAT, that makes up the rest, which is at 43%. So that's a huge, huge amount of it has been made up in other things outside of the physical material that you need for uh, building but really really tough for young couples starting out I mean you know young couples starting out on their careers for example there's very few uh, jobs that will be bringing in a combined salary of 128,000 euro and just staying on housing kind of the other side of that uh, problem and this is uh, tied in with the, the our immigrant workers coming into this country and we so badly need immigrant workers in certain uh, sectors particularly in healthcare and I was reading Neve Griffin in the examiner this morning has a piece about Indian nurses uh, working here in our Cork hospitals they are now facing severe housing chal- challenges and some of them are living in houses that are so damp their children end up getting frequently ill. This all came out at an Irish, the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation um, conference that was held. The conference was marking 20 years of the union's section. They have a, they have a specific section for internationally trained nurses and midwife, midwives. And at the conference where they heard many, many success stories, they also focused on the challenges for public and private healthcare workers in this country. Now, between June of 2022 and May of this year. Most of the new nurses in Ireland came from outside of the EU. The figure was 4,546 nurses outside of the EU came to uh, Ireland. There was 1,584 Irish nurses and then from other EU countries there was 131 And there's a lady by the name of Janet Baby Joseph. Isn't that a lovely name? Uh, She's an Indian midwife. She works in the Cork University Maternity Hospital. She is now describing Ireland as her her second home. I don't don't know how long she's here, Uh, but maybe maybe she's here 20 years because she was co-founder of the Cork Organisation of Indian Nurses. And she said that they have these WhatsApp uh, groups. Now, she said there can be up to 900 nurses working in Cork, all part of these WhatsApp groups. And she said every single morning there will be between 10 and 12 messages from people who are looking for housing and that's just in the Cork area. Now she did welcome government plans for housing uh, but she says that in Cork University Hospital alone uh, in a month you can get 
anything up to 25 nurses arriving and all of them obviously need uh, housing. Ms Joseph acknowledged the crisis. Obviously it affects everyone but she says that landlords sometimes assume that migrant workers are not aware of standards. She said there are so many people still living in very damp houses and they're living in these damp houses with small children. They end up regularly having to go to the GP because their children are picking up respiratory problems because of living in a damp uh, house. And she says the problem is these nurses and their little families can't leave the damp houses Guess why? Because there's no other house for them to go. She said there are places that she knows where nurses are living, where the toilets are leaking, the roof is broken. And she said when any of the nurses try to complain to the owner, all they get, well, you can stay or you can leave. And she's, you know, she's making the point that they really have no uh, choice. And actually I saw that the Taoiseach Leo Varadkar actually addressed that conference of uh, international nurses uh, yesterday, you know, went on to thank them for coming to Ireland and joining our workforce. And he says, I quote, I'm pretty sure we'd be nowhere without you. He said that the international nurses and doctors have made a huge difference when patients are vulnerable in hospital and he's very aware sometimes that they have to bear the brunt of the aggression when things uh, go wrong. So these nurses that we so desperately need in order to keep our health system going are equally suffering with the housing challenges that are facing so many. We're planning on brightening up somebody's Christmas again today because we've got another of the C103's Christmas Uncovered Supervised gift card to give away. Someone at the close of business today will find themselves with a €500 Euro festive shopping spree that they can spend at their local uh, Super Value. Later on today, I will tell you uh, the time when you can text or WhatsApp. You can't enter this competition until I give you the cue to text or uh, WhatsApp. Then sit tight, stay by your phone. You could get a call You'll come on air, answer a very simple Christmas question. Then you'll be the qualifier for this programme for today and you'll go forward to the draw, which is held on Martina's show, where you'll have a four... A, a one to four shot of winning that 500 euro super value gift card in total we're giving away 5,000 euro worth of these gift cards and the gift cards are perfect for every occasion they're available in store uh, you can get them as an e-gift from super value where they can be sent with a personal message you simply search super value gift uh, cards that's C103's Christmas Uncovered doing it all over again today Now over recent weeks we've had many listeners contact us because they're having a problem getting a particular medicine or a particular brand of uh, medicine and then I read that Ireland's medicine supply is worse than ever before and that's according to Sheena Mitchell who's a leading Dublin pharmacist and she's founder of wondercare.ie and Sheena joins me this morning. Good morning to you Sheena. Good morning, Patricia. And uh, always a pleasure to talk to you. Now, I've spoken with you on this topic many times uh, before. Why are the lists of medicines in short supply only getting longer? Yeah, and I suppose there's a few reasons for it. And they're different for different types of products. So, first of all, when you look at products that are still still you know, their patent is still applicable to them. They are ones that are newer on the market and there's only one supplier of all of those products because no other company is allowed to develop that drug until the patent is up. Now, there's been various reasons, uh, you know, since COVID, while drug shortages were a problem before, but since COVID, obviously, you've got things like suppliers are having issues with maybe some raw ingredients. 
Then you've got the cost and difficulty that they had for a while getting packaging and transport and all of that sort of thing. So the the medicines which are on patent, so the non-generic ones, we're having lots of issues with them. And really, once one thing goes wrong in a factory, there, you know, there's a big lag then by the time they have it fixed and back supplying the market readily. So that's one issue. And then a second issue is that we have generics. We're highly dependent on generic medicines. And these are ones which are like your typical cholesterol medicines, like atorvastatin or rosuvastatin, or many people will, you know, be on blood pressure medications and get a different brand. And that is because what happens is when a medicine goes off patent, initially about five or six we would have had five or six suppliers, generic companies, you know, importing we'll start, yeah, they'll start make, yeah, they'll be able to make that drug and then import it. Exactly. And what's happened is the government in 2013 introduced reference pricing. So they've been really, really aggressive in trying to cut the cost of drug prices, which, of course, is good for the consumer. However, as a result of that, the companies who are operating on a very low margin anyway are either pulling lines out of Ireland just or they're taking lines off the market altogether. So a good example would be aspirin 75. So that's kind of a staple in our arsenal of medicines for cardiovascular prevention. And that we used to have five suppliers of. And at the moment, there's only one available. And we did have a period where there was none available, which, you know, is ridiculous, really. And we need to manage our stock a lot better, in my view. So, because so, my, my next question was going to be, when, when a drug goes into short supply, are there readily substitutes available? But what you say there were yeah. the aspirin, there obviously wasn't. But for other drugs, are there readily substitutes? And they often are. And your community pharmacist will be spending, you know, a lot of their day trying to make sure that you either don't really notice or aren't severely impacted by a shortage. So, for example, if a patient comes into my pharmacy and they're looking for a particular blood pressure medication which comes in a 10 milligram strength that strength mightn't be available but I might have fives so I might just explain to the patient that for the next couple of months you might need to take two five milligrams daily instead of 10 and that's fine and that has gotten us through the last couple of years but every now and again and more and more frequently there's no direct substitute there's no way of us kind of solving the problem for the patient so sometimes we have to either ring the doctor and try and get a change of drug which can be very disruptive to patient care especially when you're talking about things like epilepsy medicines which you know are really important to stay kind of stabilized on and a change in medicines can lead to an increase in seizures so we have to be very careful for some in some circumstances it doesn't matter if you change but there are many circumstances where it really will impact care and i suppose you know we're looking at the shortages are spanning a wide range of products from antibiotics to eye drops to steroid skin creams as I said, their epilepsy medicines, insulin, uh, antibiotics are really like the, the eye drops as well as kind of the mainstay ones for dental treatment and even for urinary tract infections, that kind of thing, chest infections. Um, and a big problem has been the ADHD medicines as well. So there's a lot of issues. And I know the last time we spoke, I would have mentioned that the community pharmacists were looking for a serious shortage protocol. Mm. And this is in place in the UK. And it basically means that, say, if you come in with a prescription for the most commonly prescribed antibiotic, which, by the way, probably shouldn't be prescribed as much because it's not recommended first line because of antimicrobial resistance. But Augmentin, Augmentin isn't currently available. And normally in a situation like that, if we could say to the patient, well, we don't have Augmentin, 
and we could ask the patient what type of infection it is they're being treated for. We could then follow a protocol to recommend the HSE advised antibiotic in that situation and substitute it appropriately for the patient. But that has not come in despite a task force being put in place at the middle of last year. They're very slow to address this problem in any sort of meaningful way. And as you say, it works so well in other countries. Yeah. And like the other problem is this is obviously not just an Irish problem. We probably have made it a lot worse for the generics. But we would normally, if we can't get a medicine, sometimes we can import them from other European countries who have the same kind of safeguards and safety measures as we do. And recently with, say, the likes of Augmentin, you know, we'd ring the UK suppliers and look to get some from there. And at the moment they're saying, no, we're not allowed to export them. Yes, you know, so they're safeguarding their own stock, and and we and we and we stretch. we unfortunately are not because we're not able to do that because we don't have no. the stocks to to to, to safeguard. Yeah, um, you and mentioned you mentioned the patented um, medicines. Would it help if some of them came off patents? quicker. Yeah, I think there's definitely a need to look at the level, you know, the length of time that a medicine can have a patent on it. And I do understand like there is an awful lot in, you know, of cost in research and development for developing these drugs. But at the same time, I think, you know, they can't kind of keep it as a cash cow when people need it. So I do think that needs to be addressed, but that would have to be addressed on a European or global level. Um, one other thing we could do is, you know, the way I was saying there, we can get some medicines from other countries. Mm. Well, when we we do that, they're known as unlicensed medicines, which means they don't have a license, which the HPRA in Ireland, but they are licensed in other countries. And so it's generally an issue with the manufacturer not bothering to pay for a license here in Ireland. So with them, we don't have a HSE code for them, which means that we can't supply them on the medical cart, right? Uh. Which means, yeah, which means a patient or even on the drugs payment scheme, if you have a patient hitting their 80 euro limit and we get them a particular medication that normally costs six euro or something, it can all of a sudden not be covered on the medical card, not be covered on the drugs payment scheme. And it can cost, you know, 60 euro. And it's us who have to go out to the patient and try and, and explain, explain that. that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and I remember last year when I spoke with you, there was an, uh, there was a shortage of uh, you know cough bottles and over the counter cough and cold uh, remedies. Are you expecting to see the same again this year? Yeah, potentially. I think really people I, and just I wouldn't panic so much about the over the counter things, because at the moment, for me, the mainstay of these products are things like paracetamol and ibuprofen to deal with kind of fever and aches and pains like a lot of cough bottles. Um, well, other than uh, there are ones which liquefy mucus like Exputex, Biscalex. These are some brands that are available in every pharmacy and they're still available and they're very good at softening out chesty coughs. But for dry, irritating coughs, you're nearly as well having honey and lemon in hot water because the lemon will actually cut through the mucus a bit and the honey will coat your throat and do in effect the same thing as some of these over-the-counter dry cough bottles. So, you know, I wouldn't panic about that. But, you know, the decongestants can be a bit of an issue and there's controversy over some of them at the moment because they're ones which contain a drug called phenylephrine have been, um, they've decided that clinically they're not actually giving any benefit. But pseudoephedrine, which is what's in um, a lot of them, is effective and 
that we have had, you know, some shortages with, and that can really help with the blocked noses. But again, in that circumstance, if you're doing a saline nasal rinse and even, you know, putting a few drops of olive oil or something into a basin of water. And inhale it. Yeah, the the good old fashioned remedies, they, they still work. They do still work yeah. and it's important to, I suppose, go back to them and embrace them. Um, they mightn't always be as convenient and they might be a bit more time consuming, but they do work. So okay. for me, as long as we have treatment for fever and pain, I'm comfortable in the kind of over the counter thing. Obviously, if something is worse than that and you suspect an infection, it's, you know, that's the point where it can be a bit of an issue because first of all, you're going to have difficulty getting a GP appointment. And second of all, even if you walk out with a prescription, there's no guarantee that we're going to have it. So I do think that we need a lot of kind of proactive support from the HSE and the Department of Health. Is this all putting a huge amount of pressure on, on pharmacists? I think what's happening is it's really it's making the job more and more difficult because, for example, if we get an unlicensed medicine, we and this sounds really basic and tedious. But if you can just imagine this happening so many times in your day, we then have to have a copy, a photocopy of that invoice attached to a photocopy of every prescription and filed separately because that's the regulations for unlicensed medicines. In addition to that, if we're trying to contact a GP or hospital, like if we're trying to ring a hospital, it could take us three or four hours to get through your kind of every 10 minutes trying again to call and you have a patient waiting on urgent medical you know yeah, access to medicines yeah. um, and then you have us ringing the GPs who are obviously under pressure yeah yeah and they can't also see what's in stock and a lot of them are very very helpful and very good they'll write an option one two and three on the prescription because they don't want us calling you know wrecking their heads and Unfortunately, it's the patient who ends up waiting and the patient who ends up kind of having their their treatment delayed and also then paying additional costs. So while it's frustrating for community pharmacists, look, we're in a very patient focused role. And for years, when shortages happened on an infrequent basis, we could hide it. And often we absorbed the cost without the patient even knowing. So we would just, if there was two or three euro in it, we just wouldn't mention it because we'd say, oh, look, this will be fixed soon. And this patient, you know, has a medical card and like you do your best for your patients because you've long standing relationships with them. But it's become such a big issue that we can't absorb it because like everyone else, we have increased staff costs. Some of the differences in prices are very high. And, you know, it's it's just it's impossible to absorb them. Yeah. OK, listen, you're a mind of information as always, uh, Sheena. Thank you for that. If I don't talk to you before Christmas, have a great Christmas. And uh, thanks Thank for all you. your contributions throughout the year. Uh, good Thank morning to you. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, pharmacist uh, Sheena Mitchell and she is founder of Wondercare.ie. Worrying and shocking to hear that a young dairy farmer has said she no longer feels safe at work after trespassers threatened to damage her property and even break her neck. Louise Crowley who farms, uh, whose farm is based in Croom in County Limerick uh, joins me. Good morning to you Louise. Good morning Patricia. You're welcome to the programme. Now the most recent incident happened, it was towards the end of November. Can you just outline to us what, what actually happened that day? Yeah, so I was just going about my everyday jobs. I was feeding some calves and next thing, my my dog started barking. Um, we have a hill on the farm and looking up towards the hill. And I went, I wonder what's wrong with her. And I looked up and I could see four men coming down along through the fields. I um, kept doing what I was doing, keeping an eye on them to see where were they going or were they going to leave. 
and within a few minutes realised that they were actually coming up the main farm passage and they were heading into the farmyard towards me. So I, um, my dog then took off running after them. Uh, they had dogs as well with them, so I followed down just to get my own dog. I stayed away from them. I kept about 30 feet between us at all times. Um, kept watching them walking down the passageway, the farm roadway, through the farm. And I politely and just once said, I'll ask you nicely, will you please leave the property? And I was met with a litany of abuse. I was called several slur names. I was told not to anger them, that I didn't want to anger them. They'd come back, they'd snip all the wires in the farm, that they'd come back and they'd break my neck. Um, so yeah, it was... Um, That's very intimidating. Was, yes, very. And they, they left after that. But, you know, to see where they actually left, you know, even their dogs didn't even want to go out through this hole in a hedge. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's very, it's very frightening. And they were on, they were on foot, but did they have transport with them? So once I had asked them to leave, I immediately, I rang the guards. Um, they knew who I, they presumed who I was ringing. And once they had gone through our hedge and they were in the neighbor's farm, they started ringing somebody. They started running. And within a couple of minutes, a car came flying up the road to the gate of that, that field. To collect and them. And took them off, speeding up the road, yeah. And their, their excuse is that they're on your land lamping hares and rabbits, is it? It's rabbits. So it's they're rabbits. not allowed to actually go after hares. Okay. So and they, and they know that. If they say they're after hares... Um, I'm entitled to tell them to go because that's illegal. But uh, they know if they say they're after rabbits, um, that they, that they're fine to do so. This bunch in question didn't even try and justify why they were in. They went immediately for intimidation and abuse. Um, I've had like we we've had lots of incidents of this on our farm, unfortunately, and I've had other groups come in. And you can you can explain to them that I don't want dogs coming in, that there's health concerns and animals and all these other things. And, you know, they'll take it on board and they leave. But unfortunately, there is more and more of these other groups appearing and they threaten violence immediately. And you, it is within your rights to tell them to leave your land, isn't it? It is. It's, it's my property. Yeah. It's my workplace. Um, and like as most people, like farmers will know, their farm is seen as more of an extension of their home than an actual workplace too. And you know, it's 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 an awful position to be in that we're not entitled to be respected when we ask these people to leave. You know, if you uh, if you came in and you weren't wanted in a shop, the shop owner is entitled to ask you to leave, and and you're told to do so. But, you know, you get these groups of people that think that they're entitled to walk through fields because it's the countryside. And you say you rang the Gardaí. Can the Gardaí come and forcibly remove these people? Look, I can only but commend the Gardaí that are in my area. They come out. They're very quickly quick to me. They're very obliging. But they're caught between a rock and a hard place too. All they can do really is... If there's a vehicle parked on the road, check, is it taxed, is it insured? If it's not, they can possibly seize it 
I have had guards say to me that they have done such thing. They've left these trespassers on the side of the road. And what they do is they walk up to the next property, farm or house, and they rob another vehicle. And that guard then has felt, uh, feels that they're they're guilty or they're some bit responsible for inflicting a, a robbery on another family because they're just trying to do something. Like, the guards are as frustrated as I am. They come out to me, they can haul them in, and they know within another three weeks or a month they're going to be called out to the same group of people because the judges are not doing enough. They're not getting penalised hard enough. These people are not afraid of anything. They get a fine, they get a slap on the wrist and that's and it. And then they're back out again. And a again. month later, they're back out again. And have you changed the way you do things in order to try to keep yourself safe, Louise? I would. You know, we're coming up, we're gearing up for the busy season as a dairy farmer, the spring and calving. And like, even though I only live 30 seconds from the farmyard across the road, I'm not comfortable to just walk across the road to check my cows if they're calving because I don't know who's actually walking around the place. Or if I'm in the dark and like the evenings are dark now by five o'clock and if I'm walking around the farmyard and I hear a gate rattle or something bang, I have to tell myself constantly, it's just a cow scratching off a gate, it's just an animal, you know, but it's always in the back of your head going, is that actually somebody walking around the place? Because I see so many of these trespassers during the day. I don't know what they're doing during the night when we can't see them or we're not around. Shocking. And and I know you're County Secretary of the Limerick Board of the IFA. Do you hear from many other farmers who are equally feeling as threatened as you are by by these trespassers? Yes. Um, number there's an immense number of farmers. Um, we in Limerick IFA this year we um myself and the county chair we organised um a meeting in the county for farmers to come. We had you know the the Garda superintendent with National Parks and Wildlife. We brought all the relevant bodies and authorities there to hear the farmers and you know hear what they're having to put up with. And on that night, we had a big meeting. We had over 300 plus farmers in attendance, you know, and I'm not uh, I'm, I'm not a minority in this case. Everyone is dealing with it around. And like even I put up about my experience on social media. I had over 400 farmers message me, a lot of women um, saying that they see these people come into their yards, they hide in their sheds because they were afraid to confront them. They don't know what to do. Uh, and people are afraid to actually speak out like this on the radio for fear that they're going to be targeted oh, again because dreadful. of it. That is, that is dreadful. You've got a right uh, to feel safe both in your home, in your workplace and, and in your local community. And I know I read that they, one of your Limerick uh, TDs, uh, Niall Collins, like he says regularly, he's hearing it from farmers who do feel threatened by these uh, trespassers. And he, he says that he, he would certainly be in favour of having the law examined to see if it's fit for purpose, because it doesn't look like it's fit for purpose at the moment. It's not fit for purpose at all. Currently, there is nobody able to tell me as a farmer what I should do if people come in illegally into my farm. There is no clear guideline. There's an awful lot. You ask people what to do and you get told, oh, it's a grey area. That's not That's good not, enough. Absolutely, I need to know it's not good enough. Where I stand when these people come in. 
and the just the law isn't working you know the if if it was these people wouldn't be coming back time and time again and it's about time that you know the tds and the government actually sit down and meet with the likes of myself and other farmers and hear about the 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 issues that we have to and the experiences we have to put up with because it, you just wouldn't it wouldn't be allowed in any workplace. Okay and it's so good to chat and hear of a young female dairy farmer and and I can I can hear it in your voice it's obviously a job you love. I do I do love it and it, look it's just it's unfortunate that you know there, there there's enough of challenges in agriculture itself I suppose as being a, a female farmer you know uh, not to have all these outside issues as well and not to be worried about my actual safety just because I probably can't defend myself. Uh, you know, if a group of four or five men come in, I'm going to be very easily overpowered. Very, and that's the worrying thing. Like. Yeah, you're in a very, very vulnerable position. And and I saw uh, only this week in the, 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 the census, of course, they're releasing information from the census and it shows a rapid decline in the numbers of people farming in the last six years since the last census. I was shocked to see it's down at 16%. I mean, do you worry about the future of farming in Ireland? You couldn't but worry about it, to be honest. You know, I, I, I love farming. I love my job. But farming is the kind of job where you have to be able to plan 12 months ahead, five years ahead, 10 years ahead. And currently at the moment, the way the green agenda and government policy and nitrates and there's dozens of issues that are affecting farmers at the moment. And it, there's been so much red tape and regulation it's become very difficult to plan even six months ahead at the moment. So it's not an enticing industry for young people from that respect. You know, you can't make a plan. I, I'm, t- I'm 29 and I can't guarantee how many cows I'll have next year in mind five years. It's very hard to plan for a family or anything else, you know, when you don't know the specifics of what your business is going to be. And it's all coming back to government and EU regulations. And, you know, you'd wonder at times, would you be better off to go and get an office job and have a guaranteed uh, guaranteed hours? Nine to five. Know, yeah. And you'd know yeah, what your income is at the end of the week. Yeah. 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 Because look, as much as you love farming, it, it's it's a lifestyle that you have to commit to too. You can't just walk away from it. You can't go on holidays. Someone always has to be there, you know. So they, they, they really need to do whatever they can to keep young farmers like myself there. And, you know, be, feeling safe in your own farm is just the start. Yeah. That's just, it's essential. OK, listen, you're, you're a great advocate for, for young farmers for sure. Stay safe, Louise, and thanks a million for taking time out to talk to us. We really appreciate it. Thanks very much. Good morning to you. That is Louise uh, Crowley, a young farmer who farms in uh, Croom. And shameful to think that any group of men would intimidate her and verbally abuse her uh, like that. Shame on them. Now, I was talking about housing at the top of the programme uh, this morning and in particular this report that's out from the Chartered Surveyors of Ireland just showing 
the cost of building a typical family home. We're not talking about building mansions. We're talking about building a three-bedroomed semi-house, which is what a lot of people uh, live in. And a lot of people, certainly when you've got young couples who are trying to go into the property ladder, that's what they try strive to own is a three-bedroomed semi-detached house. And the, this report is showing that for people trying to build a house of that size in Dublin, they'd have to have a combined salary of at least €128,000. And outside of Dublin, it's it's around the 100000 at Euromark. So you can understand how many couples are really, really feeling squeezed because they're paying exorbitant rents. They're trying to save deposits. And at the same time, they know they have to get up the career ladder in order to be earning any kind of a decent wage uh, to be able to buy a, a property and to buy their forever home. Well, that prompted a listener to say, Patricia, listening to you talking about housing, did you read about the woman who was living in a cow shed? Just electricity, there's no running water, there's no uh, toilet. She does have a full-time good job and she can't afford a house. It is, is a disgrace. We have people coming into this country getting homes. We need to look after the Irish uh, first. Well, actually, the woman you're talking about is actually German. She's been, I don't know how long she's been living here in uh, Ireland. Um, I, 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 and I, all I know, her first name in any of the reports I read, her first her name is Bita. I don't, I don't know what her surname is. She's a woman in her uh, 50s. The texture is right. She is working with a large company somewhere here in Cork and I think she's living somewhere in this cow shed in the North Cork uh, area. She works for a large multinational uh, company. She did apply for social housing but she's one of those famous ones in the squeeze middle and when you are a single person trying to do it on your own you haven't a hope of being able to go out and get a, a, a mortgage but she was told her income was over the threshold so therefore she was denied social housing. From what I can gather she had been living in a mobile home but the land where the mobile home was based she was obviously paying rent uh, to a landlord to put the mobile home onto his his or her land I don't know but the landlord the land was repossessed so therefore Beta had to give up the mobile home and uh, move on now she desperately tried to find some place to rent as I say she is has has a good job has a full time job has a decent wage and too much for social housing so she was trying to rent in the private sector couldn't find uh, anything and it was earlier on in the summer of this year that she had to move out of the mobile uh, home she got a friend who agreed to look after her dogs and while she was dropping the dogs off to the friend's house she noticed that the friend had a cow shed and she said any hope that I can move into the cow shed now the friend initially said hang on you know there's no running water there's no uh, heating but there is electricity but she she decided the summer months she'd be okay and she'd move in and she did but unfortunately we're into November and she still seems to be living in a cow shed with a corrugated roof and you can imagine how cold it was this uh, week to try and sleep and live in a shed with no insulation. Now I was reading um, on Cork Bio that she was trying to get some insulation and she was trying to on her day off she tried to put some insulation and into the shed to try to make it a little bit uh, warmer but you know she was saying she very much is the squeezed uh, middle in society. Here she is one of the immigrant workers who've come to this country to work um, and you know in many cases propping up sections where we don't have the workers and yet and has a decent job and she cannot find 
a, any place that's affordable or any even to be offered a place to rent. And of course, she's probably doubly caught because she's got dogs and we know that not all landlords uh, will take a tenant with dogs. But uh, she's she was denied the social housing because, as I say, she's over, over the threshold. So what she's done since she was trying to get on the social housing in the county, but she's over the limit. She's since put her name down for a council house in the city because their limits are uh, slightly uh, higher. Uh, but she's really is uh, struggling and never thought I think when she came to Ireland from Germany to live that she would see herself living in a cow shed but unfortunately that is the reality. I mean as I say I'd love to chat with Beat if anybody knows uh, who she is and has a contact number I certainly would love to chat with her to see if we could see if there's anybody listening that might have suitable accommodation that she would be able to rent. 0818 103 103 Hi Patricia it's great to hear that young uh, farmer Louise as speaking earlier on, many of those trespassers are absolute blackguards. It's shameful what that poor girl has had to put up with. Yeah, and I just think to hear her say she's afraid and, you know, she's 30 seconds from her house to where the cow sheds are, you know, to check up on the animals or to go out onto the land. And she drives. She, the once upon a time she would have walked to the fields but she's just so nervous now that she's actually driving and that's that's wrong she should be able to feel safe in her own workplace and thanks to Heidi who sent me on a uh, link from the Brussels Times dot uh, com to say hi Patricia I've just seen this and I really think it's something we that live in rural Ireland that are older uh, will be only what they're trying to do is make life harder for us particularly for people over the age of 70 please you have to think how hard already it is as the years creep up on you life is getting so unfair on our older folks. Merry Christmas to all. Merry Christmas to you as well Heidi and Heidi it was something I mentioned on the programme and what it was I think it was back in March uh, of this year it was the EU transport ministers they put a proposal before the European uh, Commission and it was to limit the validity of driving licence for people over the age of 70 and what they were proposing was that anybody over the age of 70 when they wanted to renew their driving licence they'd have to get quite an extensive medical examination but they'd also have to do uh, refresher uh, courses. Well what's come out this week is that that uh, obligation which was proposed in uh, March by the European uh, Executive uh, has now been, they have not quite rescinded it but what they've done with it is it's been left up to in each individual member state to decide because I remember when it came out in March there was a number of European uh, countries who really were not in, in favour of it. Belgium I know came out very strong that's probably why it's appeared in uh, the Brussels uh, Times but I know uh, in Germany and in Austria they were also against it as well and certainly I heard people uh, complain about it in this country too so it's, it'll be up to all of the member states to decide if they want to introduce that proposal which would see people over the age of 70 having to do an extensive medical test and a refresher course in order to renew their driving licence. And I can't see. Uh, we saw what happened before with the grey vote when they tried to take the medical cards away from people over the age of 70. We saw what happened. So it would be a very, very brave Irish government that would decide to put that proposal in place. 0818 103 John Paul takes your calls. C103 Jobs. An LCV tester for light commercial vehicles is wanted for a busy test centre uh, in the Mallow Road in Cork City. CVs please to george at decronenmotors.com. 
Community employment positions are available in Formoy, in Kilworth and in Araglan. Now, as for environmental workers, they're also looking for a caretaker and an assistant youth worker. If you qualify for a community employment scheme, please call Michelle O'Mahony 87 a bathroom sales assistant is wanted to work in Canturk. Some experience in a retail or a showroom setting would be an advantage. You can email info at burkeshomevalue.com or call them on 086 And the Donkey Sanctuary in Liscarroll have a vacancy for a new arrivals groom. Full drop description and application uh, details are available on their website, which is thedonkeysanctuary.org.uk. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. Want great advice? You know who to talk to. CMIG.ie. The Rural Independent Group of TDs have submitted a formal objection to the World Health Organization Director General, and this is expressing concerns over what they say is erosion of our Irish sovereignty. To explain more, I'm joined by West Cork Independent Doll Deputy uh, Michael Collins. Good morning to you, Michael. Good morning, Patricia. Michael, and this is to do with the the WHO's pandemic treaty, and I, I, we'll talk about that in a moment. But just uh, firstly, there was, by all accounts, an extremely heated exchange in the Dáil uh, yesterday over a motion that was put forward by the Rural Independent uh, Group, and this was on uh, immigration. And I'm right in saying that this was probably the first time that the topic of immigration was actually formally discussed in the Dáil, was it? Absolutely, uh, Patricia, and. You know, we're, we're supposed to be living in a democracy and we're supposed to have uh, a law for different uh, points to be made. But we never got a chance uh, to air any point. And we, uh, through the business committee, our, our leader, Matty McGrath, has uh, every, almost every week had asked for a debate for eight months. Imagine eight months asked for a debate on uh, immigration or migration. And uh, it was refused us. And look, we used our own uh, time uh, to, to bring forward, which we have very little as such in relation to bringing forward bills or motions. We only get maybe one every five or six weeks. Well, that was the only way we could bring forward uh, a decent and honest discussion. And it did get heated. I was there for the full two hours of debate yesterday. It got quite heated. And maybe people will say, that we were disrupting speakers, but if people watched it all, it kept right on, kept continuously looking at us, provoking us at one stage, uh, saying to us that we were anti women, which is, I don't know what that had to do with the debate, uh, coming from the Labour Party who took the, the women's stay at home women's pensions. It was astonishing coming from there. But, like, look, in fairness, we did, and uh, overall, we did get a discussion. Uh, there is a lot of concern out there. Um, there's huge amounts of money being spent here. There is no. We we're, we make we're making it quite clear we're not against people that need uh, refugee status in this country coming in here as long as it's controlled to a degree and people that are non-documented are people should not be coming in, be turned around and removed uh, back out of the country immediately. But other people have other ideas, and I think it gave some clarity in some of these issues yesterday. It was no, it didn't always go all the way. People got some clarity on some of the concerns they have, but certainly it gave an opportunity to discuss those concerns. And, you know, the teacher has been saying recently, we need to slow the flow. Uh, everybody in this country that I meet on this, I'm meeting at different types of people to what social democrats and, and labour are meeting are telling me that not alone should we slow the flow now, it should have been done 12 months ago. People are not 
adequately being looked after, sleeping in tents, sleeping in uh, under iron hoses, are, are not being properly looked after. And that's a sad situation. And, and, and what, what do you feel the government can do? I mean, is it within their powers to meet somebody at Dublin Airport and if they don't have the necessary papers, even if they claim I'm looking for asylum, do they have the right to put them back on a plane? countries, you know, where uh, they're called safe countries, like Georgia and a, a number of other countries, there are people coming in from there. So that's quite questionable as to why, like, especially in the situation we're in, what can the government do? They need to slow the flow. That is the simplest three words, slow the flow, because this country is at overstretch. And, and how, how, do, how do they do that, Michael? How do they well, the same, the same as everybody else do. They tighten up their immigrant laws or immigration laws here. Uh, other countries have done that long ago. And we have a situation where uh, like, there's two situations here. Patricia. There's genuine people coming in here working, and they're great people. And they save lives every day of the week. And we, 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 this country loves them the same as they love any other neighbour. But there is situ- situations where people are using the system and it's, it's 30% are passing uh, uh, parts of Europe that uh, available them to, to, to stop off coming straight to Ireland because we seem to have a very, very uh, unbalanced system here that, that gives quite a lot of uh, money um, and, and, and comfortable um, accommodation to those who some, some of those who don't, need to, uh, who don't need that accommodation as such. I think... Uh, People are worried in communities because they wait, They go to bed one night, they wake up in the morning, there's uh, maybe in a, in, a, in a place where that could take 15 or 20 people, there could be 60 or 70 people uh, arriving in their community. And I, like I made that point yesterday in the doll that like if you have a new neighbour coming in, it doesn't matter what colour they're always People are always concerned, God, I hope they'd be nice and I hope they'd be this. But imagine 70 or 80 of them people coming into a community, there's a serious concern and a serious worry, and a serious worry for their, their, their own health and well-being as well as everybody else, that they're, you know, the conditions that they're staying in. But the whole point was, Patricia, have a debate on it, uh, that wasn't allowed to this country. There seems to be uh, something out there saying we, we shouldn't be talking, but I think we should. Um, and and we're not always right, rural independence, but we certainly think that debate is important. We were called everything. Everything under the sun from the same crew that want to open the gates and want to bring in millions into this country, Labour and Social Democrats, but I don't care. They can call me what they want. I'm not. I, I help people um, with visas. I help people with work permits. Um, uh, helping people fly in and out of this country, foreign nationals, all my life. Uh, sorry, since I got involved in politics. And, you know, at the same time, when people have concerns, I will raise those concerns and try and get answers for them. All right, yeah, because, you know, in fairness, I only mentioned uh, earlier on about the the migrant nurses and particularly the nurses that come from outside the EU, uh, India in in particular. I mean, even the Taoiseach himself uh, says, you know, our health system would be nowhere without those migrant workers. Mm. Absolutely, uh, Patricia. Many more besides the health system, but certainly in the health system. We all see it ourselves. We go into the hospital, we meet them, they're lovely and they're kind to us and we're kind to them. And the people that come into our country, we're, we're as good as we can be, but we're at breaking point. And there has to be some place. I'll stop. And where is that? Or where is the slowing? How is it, how is it going to be managed? Are we going to keep putting people into more tins? Um, and, 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 well, this, you know, this week, yeah, the system really broke this week because this week there was literally no room at the inn and anyone that arrived was given a, a sleeping bag and a tent and, and told, pitch it wherever you can pitch your tent. Yes, and, and, and the situation is, you know, 
because the cities first, the cities are, are at a breaking point. They've now moved into rural communities where there's no facilities, nothing for people to come there, and there's 50, 60 people uh, landing in to uh, maybe a building dulled up to just past the past the fire search and past this and past that. It's not suitable. It's not okay, right. Okay, but it's, deba- it's debate. Yeah, it's debate you want and, and let everybody yeah. have, have, have their have say. Their okay. All right. Yeah. Now, now the reason that we invite you on the programme this morning is you've got concerns about the World Health Organization's pandemic treaty. And I have to say, I hadn't heard about this, so I had, I had to do a bit of research um, uh, on it. Can you just, um, as best you can, outline uh, what it is and, and why and how you feel it would affect this country? Well, quite a lot of people have uh, come to my clinics. I often, you know, I have quite a lot of clinics uh, over the weekends. And in, in the past month, quite a lot of people came to my clinics or contacted the office concerned about this new uh, WHO pandemic treaty. And I, I make it very simple. It basically is allowing the WHO um, to have powers over Ireland uh, any response if there's a future pandemic. Now, I'm not saying that the WHO do things wrong or do everything wrong, but certainly they should not have the controls over our country uh, to make decisions here. And what we try to do again, raise a debate on this issue. Fair, I heard it on the floor of the doll. Uh, we asked the patient to have a debate on it. He didn't seem to understand what it was about. And he refused debate. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hi, this is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win. And support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ, the official ETF of the NCAA. The future isn't scary, not realizing its potential, however, could be. Just like on the recruiting trail, I've seen potential come in many forms as a coach. Learn more at Invesco.com slash QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc. On, on which, to me, was a very uh, serious issue. Um, you know, we, our sovereignty means that we have the ability uh, of, as a country to make our own decisions. And that's slowly and surely been eroded bit by bit. 
and I'm, you know, I'm, I'm angered about it. We wrote to the uh, the director of the WHO to tell him of our uh, disquiet and unhappiness about it. We wrote to every uh, EU, uh, sorry, MEP, um, to, to to raise the issue and the, and the problem uh, that arises from it. And it's just that the, our, our feeling is the reason the government um, didn't allow debate is that it's simply not been transparent. They are not informing the public about the potential consequences. Um, yeah, because the, when, when, when I was treaty. when I was trying to inform myself on it, it was back in uh, December of 2021, so it was two years ago that the World Health Organization reached the consensus uh, on this particular uh, convention. And they say the aim of the pandemic agreement is to protect public health and to help save lives in the event of future pandemics. And the WHO did quite a lot of that, but it, le- it left it to each individual country as to how to deal with it. This, it's, it's, and, and we see now more and more countries are opposed to this treaty. New Zealand have pulled out, Slovakians have pulled out, uh, the Estonian parliament uh, has pulled out, but they did it in a democratic way. So they gave people a choice, people a debate, which was refused us in this country. So we're very angry. I think, you know, we feel that we're strong enough to make our own decisions. Um, a lot of decisions that were made in and around the pandemic were correct. Uh, some weren't. Uh, you can see in the UK at the moment there's a, uh, an inquiry at the moment with uh, the former leader, Boris Johnson. Uh, yeah, I was where, where, I, he kept, where he kept saying, sorry, sorry, sorry. Yesterday. Well, that's literally all he can do at this stage is with his, his WhatsApps suddenly going missing. Anyway, back to the treaty. They say it strongly supports an agreement that would foster an all of government and an all of society approach, strengthening national, yes. regional and global capacities and, re- and re- resilience to future pandemics. I mean, are they not sort of saying, you know, united we stand? Should should we not look at a pandemic and everybody get it right together? And surely, we God, after the, 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 the pandemic that we, thank God, put behind us, uh, that lessons have been learned and people can sit around the table and discuss that and bring that back to their respective countries. The, the point we made was that Ireland... Would, we weren't saying they don't have to listen to the WHO, but we felt that we should at least have the powers ourselves to make our own decisions. And unfortunately, the fact that we've agreed, are agreed by not uh, disagreeing, this is seemingly what happened here, it means that the WHO pandemic treaty will, will be basically forced on the Irish people, regardless of whether you like it or not, and it's taking away from the powers, and it's taking away from our own democracy. Good God, we should be proud to have a democracy in this country. We handle things as best we can. Sometimes Internally, we, 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 we disagree on issues and try to do our best to, to get things right. Uh, but certainly, it's not right for us. A power from outside our country, yes, help us to advise, and yes, we listen, but yes, we should make our own decisions after us, and this is taking that power away. OK, and, and I suppose first and foremost, as you say, we've just come out of a pandemic, and, and yes, the UK are looking at how they managed uh, the pandemic. Is As a country... Do we not now need to learn from our COVID-19 and our response and use that to work out how we would handle any future pandemics? I certainly agree. I was doing an interview with RT last night and I said the very same thing, uh, Patricia, that we certainly should be. We should be uh, holding our own um, um, discussions with the health committee, maybe in the door, and look into how we did things right and also look into how we did things uh, uh, wrong and make it better. There is areas where things were done wrong because there was something frighteningly new 
uh, to the country that we could do better. Uh, maybe if if it's looking in, and that discussion should be should be had, and it's not it's being had now in England, in in in, in England, the UK. Yeah, but it's not being it's not being afforded. The but Irish we people. were. But it, will I, be, I, yeah, it will be soon. Yeah, I, like I know. I I checked this morning before I came on air because I mean we've been promised an inquiry um, almost since the uh, midway through the pandemic. We were promised an inquiry. Uh, we were also told the inquiry was going to be established by the end of this year. But I checked this morning before I came on air and it, I'm now been uh, hearing that the public hearings are not likely to be held before March at the earliest. And we always seem to be very slow and we seem to delay uh, here in Ireland. We seem to be slow at, at everything. And, you know, there is the view that the longer we leave it, you'll have people going, sure, I can't remember that. Last night in the debate, I was trying to think, you know, myself, what are the rights, what are the wrongs uh, in relation to COVID? Because, you know, the, the moving world that we have to be, things move aside. But I still think, you know, even that it is uh, being delayed, apparently terms and references are being looked through and whatever, which to me is a, a very lame duck excuse to delay anything. But it looks like it, it will be sometime mid- next year. But it's welcome at any time. Because if it makes, if it makes uh, Ireland a far better country to... To, to basically cope with a pandemic if it hits our country in the future. That's what we should be focusing mm. on to do a better job. Even if some would say it was, that was done very well, but certainly things could be done better. Yeah, and the nursing home issue. I mean, and, and the, the number of people who died in nursing homes. And I saw uh, w- one person suggested, and I thought, my God, this, that is spot on, that what we really need to do with any uh, inquiry, and I'm assuming they'll do the same thing in the UK, we need to look at um, excess mortality rates for Ireland and internationally. And then we need to compare them between countries that locked down and those that didn't and those that locked down early and those that didn't and in some way compare and um, so that we can move forward and feel safe for moving forward. Yes, uh, I think instead of we looking at as having a WHO pandemic treaty, this is the area that we should be looking at where uh, governments across the world do their own inquiries in their own countries, see where they went right and see where they went wrong. Certainly the English are doing it at the moment and there's quite a lot of criticism there. I, I think yesterday Boris Johnson went to the committee before the committee, three hours before he went in there, uh, afraid of the protests that were being uh, organised there over, you know, people are very upset and hurt about what happened. And he, like you said, in nursing homes here, there was millions and millions of euros spent on PPE gear, a PPE gear that shouldn't have been spent. So like, there's a lot of areas that, in fairness, they've done fantastically well in this country. But there's areas that there was question marks hanging over and I think a reasonable discussion on that should be had in, in, okay. in our parliament. Okay. And, 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 and I, also, I also read a piece this morning that the pharma, the pharmaceutical uh, companies are monitoring uh, the this uh, pandemic uh, treaty because they're not happy with it because they're afraid of implications for intellectual property uh, rights and if the pharma company think they're going to lose out money-wise they will be very strongly against this. Okay. Alright, listen, uh, thank you for raising it because as I say, it was an issue I was wasn't aware of until you brought it to our attention and it's something I think we'll hear uh, more about because it's the, the, the treaty uh, is not due to get ratified until May of next year. Oh, just one final question. I mean, if it was a treaty, would we not, not, would we not have to have a referendum in this country on it? It certainly looks to us at this present time that we're, we're not going to have a referendum and num- that's number one, but number two, that we're not going to have a national debate in our parliament, which is astonishing. I mean, you know, we're, debate, we're just about debate everything. But does, in that does, our, does our constitution not say if it's a legally binding treaty? We must have that's, a referendum. 
that's what I expect. But maybe uh, apparently that's if you opt out, maybe, and and that you, I suppose, have some objective view on this. But we had no view whatsoever. The teacher couldn't have raised him. He said, "I don't, I know, I don't know nothing about this. No, in fairness, nobody can know everything. Something about everything." But at the end of the day, though, there should have been a reasonable debate. That's all we asked as a debate in the doll. That's refused us so far, and uh, I, I think it would, it will, it won't be, it won't look good for us going forward. Okay. All right. Listen, uh, Michael. Thank you for that, and thanks thank for joining pleasure. us. Uh, good morning to you. That is uh, West Cork Independent Doll Deputy Michael Collins, and we're off to Bantry Garda Station for this week's Garda Five, where I'm joined uh, by Garda Don Davis, who is the local Local juvenile liaison officer. Good morning to you, Don. Good morning, Patricia. How are you doing? I'm, ver- I'm very well, and you're very welcome to the program. Now, thankfully, there's very little on the crime file this week, which is uh, terrific news. But you are looking for some help with criminal damage that was done to a car in Bandon. That's right, Patricia. Yeah. Last Friday morning, sometime between midnight and two thirty in the afternoon, a car had its four tires cut in Thornfields in Bandon. So it's kind of probably, you know, hopefully someone might have uh, CCTV footage in the houses or maybe have seen someone acting suspiciously. But it was torn fields in Bandon last Friday morning, sometime between 12 midnight and 2.30 p.m. The tires of four, four tires of a car were cut. That's a pretty nasty thing to do, isn't it? It is. Look, the time of the year and people struggling for money with Christmas and so on and so forth, it's really is, um, you know, a nasty crime. But we really are hoping that someone may have seen something there. So the Guardian Bandon would be delighted to hear from them there. And the Guardian yeah. Bandon can be contacted at 023 Okay, so look back through any um, CCTV you might have or anyone with dash cam who might have been driving in the area around that time. Exactly, Patricia. We're keeping our fingers crossed there. Someone might know some something there. So look, if anyone has any information, we would be delighted to hear from them. OK, we're at a very busy time of the the year, 7th of December, tomorrow, 8th of December, big, big uh, shopping day. And between now and Christmas, you can already see it when you're out and about. It's harder to get parking spaces. Uh, towns and cities are busy, which is great and, and lo- long may it last. But you just want to do some crime prevention advice just to keep everybody safe when they're out and about doing their Christmas shopping. That's right, Patricia. And I know we repeat ourselves a little bit here, but look, you know, people struggle very much this time of the year for for money. So small, simple little tips would be very useful to them. So I'm just going to run through a few of them and uh, they might be of use to somebody out there during this particular time. So first and foremost, keep their handbags zipped up and don't have their wallets in their back pockets. You know, our, our criminals are looking really for very soft, easy thefts. So we try to make it difficult for them at all times. If people are using the ATMs to make sure to cover their PIN number and then when they take their cash, don't carry their cash away with them. Put their cash in their handbags or their wallets immediately before they leave the ATM machines. Again, to discourage people from hanging around ATM machines looking for sneak sneak thieves. I suppose, again, coming to Christmas presents and so on and so forth, you know, people are shopping. It's really busy. Try not to leave your Christmas shopping unattended. It's amazing the amount of people that leave them down for a second, come back five minutes later, and the Christmas shopping is gone. So try not to leave your Christmas shopping shopping unattended. Now, a small bit of narration to cars, because it's very hard to get parking. Car parks are full. But try and park your car in a safe location that's well lit and that there are plenty of people around. Again, just to discourage people that may be involved in crime from seeing a car isolated somewhere and taking a chance on it. 
if you can at all try and remove all your presents from the from the from the vehicles and if possible if you have to leave valuables or, or, or your presence in the car try and place them out of sight or in the booth we're constantly giving this advice but you know unfortunately the amount of uh, things that are taken this time of the year in presence it's just a pity for the families that are taken from and before you leave your car just try and give it one last check make sure that the doors are all locked that the windows are all locked and it's in a safe place and I suppose finally, Patricia, it's kind of something that I know it's been on your program several times, but there are lots of families that are going to go away for Christmas. You know, they're going to go on holidays. They're going to be excited, but we're discouraged. We're trying to discourage them, them from putting their pictures up on social media, putting up a lovely picture, heading off for holidays for two weeks and covering it in, in all the social media outlets. Of course, take lovely pictures while you're on holidays, but try and not put them up on your back. Don't be advertising the fact that your house is vacant and there's going to be no one home for a period of time. Again, it's only going to encourage someone from having a look at that house. So look, there are very simple tips, Patricia, that may help someone over this over this particular time. Yeah, I was actually in a supermarket last week and I actually saw a gentleman approach a, a woman and said, you really shouldn't be doing that. And she was over the fruit and veg and she was a bit distracted in, in what she was buying. But she was she kept walking away from her trolley and her wallet, which I'm assuming had money in it, was she just left that sitting on top of the trolley while she'd go over and pick up bananas and then go back and go over and pick up something else. And it was a gentleman pointed out, pointed out to her saying anyone can walk by and just lift that wallet. And and she and she, like it was a nice conversation between the two of them, and she said, "Yeah, you know, you're right. I'm I'm just not thinking." But so you've got to be very careful about getting distracted at this time of year. You do, Patricia, and like we are blessed, have no doubt about it. Like the crime file is very small this week, which is brilliant. We're a very trusting nation, but like it would be just a shame for some families you know, presents or their wallets or something to go missing at this time of year and destroy Christmas for them. Yeah, yeah, it would, do, it would absolutely ruin it. OK, listen, uh, thank you for that, uh, Don. Have a lovely Christmas if I don't speak to you at uh, this side of it. And uh, thanks for all of your reports throughout the year. Thank you very much, Patricia. Happy Christmas to all your listeners. Good morning to you. That is uh, Juve Juvenile Liaison Officer Garda Don Davis uh, working out of uh, Bantry Garda Station. 0818 103 103. Um, Jack was on to say, wasn't that a lovely story about the Deliveroo uh, driver who made all the money on the, well, made all the money, but received the money on the GoFundMe uh, account and that he's going, he's now gone public to say he's using it to rebuild his life. This was the Boy, the the delivery cyclist. Remember, he intervened during that horrific knife attack at the Dublin uh, school. And the I, I know I've mentioned the GoFundMe page before. It's actually gone to three hundred and sixty eight thousand six hundred and fifty uh, euro. Chio uh, is a forty three year old. From a native of Brazil, he used his helmet to wrestle the attacker to the ground. Remember, the attacker had a knife uh, at the time of that horrific attack on Parnell Street in Dublin. So he definitely, I mean, even the Gardaí will accept he did along. I know there was others involved as well, but he did save uh, lives and he was the one that managed uh, to get the knife out of his hand and get him to the ground. And then, of course, after it all happened, it was just a member of the public decided to set up a GoFundMe page and it was by Chio a pint to say thank you for his bravery. That's 
how it started out. And the idea was that people would throw in a few euro and, you know, and a couple of thousand euro would be would be raised to give to Chio uh, to say thank you. But nobody could have expected the way it took off. And people, I think, were just so appreciative of this man and what he had done. And he put his own life at, at risk. And as I say, 368,000 euro was yesterday transferred to his account. And he's not in Ireland that long. He only came to Ireland two years ago. And bless his heart, he was forced to leave Brazil and come over here to work as a Deliveroo driver because he he owned and ran his own restaurant, but unfortunately burned to the ground and he lost everything. So he no other choice, wasn't able to get work in Brazil. So he came here to get work and he was sending money back and has been sending money back to keep his uh, family uh, going. And he just said, he you know, he came to Ireland to start all over uh, again. And he says, I believe God put me on Parnell Street to help that uh, child. He said, I'm humbled and very grateful for the people's uh, generosity. Now he says he's lots of bills. They're all going to be paid and he's going to use this money now to rebuild his life. He's also been on to the little girl. You know the little girl who's very still very seriously uh, ill um, in hospital. He's been in contact with the mother there and he's going to help her with anything uh, that she needs. And another good thing that came out of this horrific story was that uh, Chio, this Brazilian div- d- delivery driver, says that a lot of his colleagues are saying that they're getting a lot more respect from members of the public since what Chio did uh, happen. So he said he's hoping that it's going to help other Deliveroo and other drivers, particularly those in the city. But he said he's loving Ireland and he said everyone could not be kinder to me. So it's one of those kind of a good news story that came out of something that was quite horrific. C103's Christmas Covered. With Super Value Gift Cards. Perfect for every occasion. Available in store or online for e-gift cards that can be sent with a personal message. Search Super Value Gift Card. And we're hoping to get your Christmas covered with a 500 euro Super Value voucher. We are going to Roscarbury where Aoife Fitzpatrick joins me. Good afternoon, Aoife. Hey, Patricia. How Good afternoon. How are you? I, I, I'm very well. What's the weather like in Roscarbury today? It's lovely, actually. The sun is shining. Yeah, <laughs> after a very wet morning, the sun has come out and, and it's terrific. So you're all set for Christmas? All set for Christmas, except my super value uh, shopping. <laughs> <laughs> right answer, right answer. Okay, you've got to get an answer correct now. Uh, we want to know in which city is the movie Miracle on 34th Street set? Is it A, Dublin or B, New York? B, New York. Correct answer. Well done, well done. Well, you've won yourself that €500 Euro, uh, super oh, value voucher. You just, you just got to get your shopping list together and decide how you're going to spend it. Oh, that's super. Thanks so much. Well, congratulations. <laughs> Enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks very much. Okay, bye-bye, bye-bye. That is uh, Eva Fitzpatrick, a happy lady uh, in uh, Ross Garbury. Uh, she goes forward now to the draw for a €500 Euro, uh, Super Value gift card. I think I told her she won. She hasn't won it yet. She goes forward to the draw. We will have four uh, finalists in the draw later on today with Martina. And out of the four, one person wins the €500 Euro Super Value gift uh, card. So well done to Eva Fitzpatrick in Ross Garbury, getting one step closer uh, to winning that uh, voucher. C103's Christmas Covered. 
We'll do it all again this afternoon with Nick and again with uh, Martina. You're listening out for your chance to win and then you need to text her WhatsApp when you get that uh, cue and you could win the €500 Euro voucher with Martina after six today when she calls back one of our daily qualifiers. They are perfect for every occasion. They're available in store or online for e-gift cards that can be sent with a personal message. You can search Super Value Gift Cards at C103's Christmas at Cover. 0818103103. We are looking for your pet questions, uh, please, from uh, Jane Pickett. Uh, Jane will be joining us uh, later on in this hour. Now, you can text or WhatsApp in your pet questions and now uh, because we've freed up the text and the WhatsApp for your questions. I didn't want them to get lost in the middle of all of the competition entries. So if you've got a question for Jane, text or WhatsApp 0862103103. Let me take a look at some of your comments coming into the programme today. Isha in Crosshaven, not a happy camper. She says they're losing their post office facility. It's gone because their local postmistress is retiring and unfortunately no one to take over the service. Isha in Crosshaven said it's absolutely awful that this has uh, happened. And yeah, and we've we've seen that in so many other areas uh, as well. It really is dreadful when people lose the, the post office because so many people rely on the post office. But of course, whenever we hear of a post office, is closing. I'm always saying to people if you are lucky enough to have a really good post office service in your area you need to use it because if it's not used enough that's how unfortunately we end up losing them because they just don't become viable so when somebody retires very hard to get somebody then to take over a business that they feel is not going to be viable going forward so please please use your local post office uh, service. Now a number of people contacting us with regard to Louise the young dairy farmer from Limerick, from Croom in County Limerick, who joined us to talk about uh, trespassers coming onto her land and very, very aggressive uh, incident happened to her when she confronted four of these men who were on her land. She was on her own with her dog and they came onto her land with their dogs um, out looking, trying to hunt uh, rabbits. And when she asked them to, to please leave her land, they really, really got aggressive and went down to one of them saying, you know, don't take us on and I'll break your neck. I mean, that is really, really threatening. Um, Eileen says that she agrees with everything that Louise said on the programme earlier. Now, Eileen lives on her own, but there's a field behind her house that connects to another field that then leads to a walkway and she says regularly they've got walkers and I don't know if it's people lamping uh, rabbits as well but they regularly as a shortcut go through Eileen's field and the other field to get to the walkway it's, it's obviously some kind of a shortcut and she says people who walk their dogs she'll have the dogs peeing up against her uh, fence and she said there's absolutely no point talking to them as one day she did challenge a person to say look you're on my on my land and you know there's obviously another way that you can another route that you can get to to get to the walkway and she said that the other the the guy that she confronted uh, got you know quite narky with her and uh, told her that the land belongs to everyone and he simply walked off. She said he was very arrogant in his response. She said it's particularly unfair late at night. She says, for example, around eight o'clock in the evening, some people mightn't feel that that is very late. But she said it's dark at that time of the evening, and she said to see people with torches out of her kitchen uh, window, she finds it all quite spooky and it makes her quite nervous. She says something needs to be done. She's also worried about the legal implications if somebody fell while they were walking on her particular parcel of land. 
Kieran Imbandon says fair play to Louise for going public and raising this uh, issue. He says in the early hours of the morning, like 1am, 2am in the morning, they've seen lights over their fields. Um, they have challenged them sometimes, but he agrees with Louise. Many farmers are afraid to challenge them as they don't want to draw them onto themselves. And if they get down, and that's exactly how aggressive that group who were on Louise's land saying, you know, you don't want to mess with us kind of thing was what they, how they were threatening her and we'll come back and we'll snip all the wires in your fence and really threatening her. And to me, the worst one was we'll come back and break your neck. And Bill in uh, Clonakilty says the, the minister needs, this Minister for Justice needs to sort this out for once and for all. Now, Bill is saying if somebody comes up to the front drive, this doesn't even have to be about farmland. Uh, he says, do you know that you have no authority to ask somebody to get off the driveway of your home? You could be inside watching TV and you could have somebody outside who decides I'm going to sit in the driveway of your house. Uh, and if you ask them to go, they they will they, they the law according to Bill is on their side and if you start to get abusive with them they could bring you up for verbal abuse now, I've never heard of, of a case like that of somebody sitting in the driveway of somebody's house but according to Bill that's the way the laws are and I did see a spokesperson for the Department of Justice because I think uh, Bill is right and it's the one thing Louise said as well we need to look at the laws that are in place when it comes to trespass and according to the Department of Justice trespass is a civil wrong and therefore it needs to be addressed by means of a civil uh, remedy and I suppose that's where the Gardaí's hands are uh, tied. The Department of Justice say trespass may be dealt with under criminal law but that's in certain circumstances and a range of offences are provided for in the legislation. Minister Helen McEntee acknowledges that everyone has the right to feel safe in their own communities and such acts to undermine people's safety, she says, will not be tolerated. The minister is very conscious of the impact that such criminality can have on the quality of life for local communities. And she says there are legal provisions in place for different trespass situation and it ranges from fines to prison sentences. But listening to Louise, the guys that she has been confronting in County Limerick, she said, you know, they're not afraid. And she said, even if they do go to court, slap on the back of the wrist, very low fine. And she said, you know, in if they do get a, a jail sentence, it'll be for a very short period of time and they'll be back out doing it all over again. And she reckons they fear nothing. And she says, you know, for that reason, um, she, she can understand why uh, a lot of farmers decide they're not they're not even going to report it to the Gardaí. But I know that is the advice that if you do have somebody uh, trespassing, the advice is is to contact Angarza Chiacona. And certainly Louise was very fulsome in her praise of the local Gardaí. Now, they obviously know that she is a female dairy farmer farming on her own. So they are aware that she needs probably more additional protection than, um, than a big burly farmer. But listen, a big burly farmer needs protection uh, as well. But she says the Gardaí, oh, uh, you know, are always good. But she said in that incident that happened at the end of November when she started doing the Gardaí the four lads knew what she was doing and they got out through a fence and rang somebody and ran through the fields and of course suddenly a pickup van or a jeep or something arrived and carted them off and they were gone before the Gardaí could ever get there. 0818103103 John Paul taking your calls you can text our WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council reminding you to support local when choosing gifts this Christmas. 
Now the Mallow Art Club is delighted to welcome back the well-known watercolour artist that's Barbara Barrett. Uh, she'll be there tonight at the West End Art Gallery. Barbara will paint a seascape. Doors open from 7pm for a 7.30 start. Admission is €5 Euro for members and €7 Euro for non-members and all are welcome. Kildallery Community Lotto Draw will take place at 4 o'clock in the community office uh, this afternoon. This week's jackpot is €11,500 and tickets are available in all outlets. And persons seeking assistance for the forthcoming Christmas season from the Society of St Vincent de Paul in the parishes of Inishannon, Kilbritton, Neusestown and Bandon, you're please asked to forward your requests to the SVDP shop a box that's at Weir Street or you can drop them in to the church box in St. Patrick's uh, and you must do that by tomorrow the 8th of December and Skibbereen Luncheon Club are inviting people to join them for their fundraising Christmas coffee morning tomorrow morning from 11am to 1pm it's in Cara House Market Street in Skibbereen there's a great raffle also going on tomorrow and all proceeds are going to the Luncheon Club which is a club for older people and don't forget that bidding for the Cork Lions Club online auction closes at midnight Friday the 8th proceeds from the auction goes to their food appeal which they help them to distribute over 500 food hampers to deserving families if you want to find out more about the auction site you can go to corklinesclub.ie Cork today on C103 with Corrigan Insurance's McCroom now part of McCarthy Insurance Group want great advice? you know who to talk to cmig.ie Sheila has messaged at the programme she was listening to Garda Don Davis who was offering advice on this kind of busy Christmas period with people out and about doing their shopping there's lots of people around and unfortunately uh, criminals and thieves don't go on holidays and they don't take a break in the run up to Christmas and we all can get a little bit distracted when we're out and about and the danger is that the the criminals know that and the thieves know that and they're looking out for opportunities uh, to take any goods or money from you. Well, Sheila says, I was listening to guard Don Davis talking about preventing being robbed when you're out shopping. This is what I do, particularly if I'm heading into the city to do some shopping. I dress in old clothes. I never carry a handbag. I put money in different pockets. I even put some money down my bra. I put my shopping in a shopping bag or I bring a shopping trolley with me so as not to advertise what I've just purchased. I've been to some high-end shops and I sometimes feel by the security guards that I'm getting suspected of being up to no good because they I am with my big shopping bag or my shopping trolley but it's better than getting robbed says our uh, Sheila I don't know what the idea of the old clothes is that sort of to give off the image of sure I don't have much money is uh, is that where, where you're coming from with the old clothes uh, Sheila but uh, yeah having your money in different pockets is uh, something I remember my late mother whenever we'd, we'd go to if we were going to the city you were always advised uh, to do that but how do you get the money out of your bra if you're um, do you need to go in somewhere and carefully take the money out and then bring it to the shop I'd be worried about the bra uh, one uh, Sheila and for fear you might lose it but anyway uh, it's kept you safe and you obviously have never had your money robbed thank you for that uh, Sheila and remember earlier I mentioned a piece 
that it was one of our listeners, Heidi, had sent it on to us. It was from the BrusselsTimes.com, uh, which showed that the EU have changed their mind about a proposal whereby people over the age of 70, when they would go to renew their driving licence, that they would have to go for medical exams and they'd have to do refresher courses. And the EU came under pressure on this one. So what they've decided to do now, rather than rescind it, they've left it up to each individual country to decide if they want to introduce such a rule for people over the age of 70 getting their uh, driving licence. Well, there was something else that I spotted in the Daily Mail uh, today from John Drennan. And this is to do with the latte levy. You know, the proposed latte levy where we'd all be paying 20 cent on a disposable cup. And I, I was always led to believe it was coming in at the start of next year. Well, seemingly, uh, the plans here in Ireland to put an extra 20 cent if you use a disposable cup, it's run into trouble at the European Parliament. Now, the Green Party leader and our Minister for the Environment, Eamon Ryan, is not going to be happy about this because he he was the one who prioritised the measure. And obviously he was prioritising it as part of efforts to address climate change in this country. But it seems now the European Parliament has voted to halt levies on products such as takeaway coffee cups. And see me, the decision occurred in a vote that was held on the 22nd of November and I've heard nothing about it until today. And it was a vote that was taken on the packaging and Packaging Waste Regulations Bill. Now, that particular bill aims to ensure that all packaging becomes reusable or at least recyclable by 2030. So that in itself is a good bill. But in what's seen now as a significant result for Irish coffee retailers, the Parliament recommended that recyclable paper packaging will no longer be phased out in fast food establishments or in cafes or in takeaways. MEPs also decided that packaging that achieves a recycling rate of 85% or higher can still be sold. And in fairness to all, if not, well, certainly most, if not all of our coffee shops, they started to introduce the recycling cups. I think it's a long time since I've picked up a disposable coffee cup that didn't clearly state that most or all of it was recyclable. So they were trying to do their bit. But then, of course, our Minister for the Environment decided, no, we wanted to go a step further. If you want to continue with those coffee cups, then he was putting this 20 cent levy on it, which meant everybody's cup of coffee would increase by uh, 20 cent. Well, the you were saying no. Now, apart from the proposed overall packaging reduction targets, MEPs also aimed to establish specific targets for reducing plastic packaging. I mean, that's the big one. We've got to stop with the plastic. The government has been facing a war over the Green Party-backed plans, particularly to impose this 20 cent on disposable cups. The proposed levy was strongly defended, obviously, by the Greens and the Minister, Oisín Smith, claimed at the time that they were introducing it that the ambition behind this levy was to make Ireland one of the first countries in the world to eradicate disposable coffee cups and obviously in doing so then it would reduce avoidable waste and would contribute to climate action. But, and this is really interesting and this was something at the time I remember one of our listeners mentioning, a report has come out into the issue of disposable coffee cups by economist Jim Power who had previously warned that the government plans meant that the coffee retailing sector would face higher costs and the costs are staggering. Jim Power reckons the costs could be up to nearly half a billion euro. Why? That would be 
increased expenditure on dishwashing and drying equipment and obviously all the energy costs that come with washing and drying reusable cups. Uh, It also claimed the proposal does more harm than good when it comes to climate change owing to something called amplified CO2 emissions, plastic waste and escalated consumption of fresh water and energy during the process of washing, drying and transporting and making these reusable cups. The report raised concerns that reusable cups actually generate 2.8 times more carbon dioxide and consume 3.4 times more fresh water compared to the single-use disposable uh, ones. Jim Power cited the example of Vancouver in Canada. Now, Vancouver in in Canada were one of the first countries to introduce, it was a 25 cent levy, similar to what Eamon Ryan wanted to do here. They introduced it on disposable cups. But in Canada, they had to abandon it and it was due to the, what they said, punitive nature ineffectiveness. The initial Irish proposal generated obviously a furious response from Green Coalition parties. At the time, Fine Gael TD Colin Brophy warned that small cafes are already facing a battle to simply survive and it's the small independent coffee shops were the ones who were going to be really, really stung by this. He at the time says we need to be very circumspect about introducing new restrictions and taxes, particularly if they don't impact positively on change. And the Fianna Fáil Senator Timmy Dorley was also critical of the proposals at the time saying we, we need a more considered response to the challenge of climate change. He actually called it virtue uh, signalling So it looks like, I don't know whether it's gone completely, but it certainly has been put on hold because the EU have stepped in and said, no, they don't want levies on any takeaway coffee cups. But isn't it incredible? I think that report that's come out by Jim Power is the one that really has got to raise alarm bells for the Green Party, that while the theory behind it seemed great, but if at the end of the day you get rid of all of the single-use cups and you put in the reusable ones instead, and then it turns out it's you using more carbon dioxide, using more uh, water than the single-use ones. What was the point of introducing it in the first place? So there's, I know people often are very critical of the EU when they introduce something or bring in new laws or, or whatever, but there you go. There's something that for some people will say it's worked in their favour. Now for others, others will bemoan the fact and, and won't see it as a good thing because there are many people like the idea of getting rid of all of these single uh, takeaway uh, coffee cups. I mean, the keep cups and the reusable cups will always be there for those that want to use them but it looks like the 20 cent levy on disposable uh, coffee cups now has run into trouble at the European Parliament. You're listening to C103's Cork Today podcast. Phone and text lines are currently closed. And Jane Pickett of the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in the market part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group joining me this afternoon. Good afternoon to you Jane. Good afternoon Patricia. Are you full of festive cheer? Oh, we're getting there, getting into the spirit. Our tree went up in the practice this week, so we're all feeling very festive. Okay, well done. Okay, let's start with a kind of a festive uh, question from a listener. Uh, Question, please, for Jane. My friend is going away for Christmas and I volunteered to look after her dog, but now I'm starting to get a bit panicky. Will her dog get on with my dog? They're both females and they're both neutered. Uh, I will have them separated in the house, but you think they will get on okay? Any advice welcomed, please? 
Okay. Oh, well, first of all, that sounds like a very kind thing to do for your friend over the Christmas season. I know a lot of a lot of people struggle around this time of year with, you know, where where to safely put their pets whilst they're visiting family, traveling elsewhere. Um, and it can be a real challenge. Um, I would suggest even if you think these two little dogs might get on OK, the best way to really reassure everyone involved and work out any teething problems would maybe to have these little guys meet each other first. Now that might be something that they have done already. Maybe you guys go on walks regularly together and they will know each other, in which case if they usually get on well, they'll probably get on well as long as they have their own separate spaces in the house. Um, And I suppose the major concern there would be your own dog. They can sometimes get surprisingly territorial when another dog comes into their own place. So just make sure that all of their usual stuff, their usual beds, their bowls, their toys are kept with them for them and there's no risk of the other dog maybe stealing any of it because that's when things might become problematic so as long as everything's kept quite separate for those little dogs in the house and they have their own little territories things should be nice and peaceful but I'd really really strongly recommend you've got a few weeks now before Christmas hopefully before let's say you're taking care of that that little pet in your own house try and make sure they have a few play dates and just gentle introductions don't force them together but just so that they get used to their own scents smells and potentially a healthy thing would be to ask your friend if there's uh, let's say a doggy blanket that's probably due for a wash has been in in that little dog's basket for a good while um and in your case you could do a little blanket swap um so that they're used to having the smell of the other dog around so if you give a blanket that has your own dog scent on it to your friend and vice versa yeah. for a few weeks beforehand that can be a really helpful thing to smooth the transition that's good advice and and always feed them separately Oh, always feed them separately. Keep everything really quite separate. Keep their sleeping areas separate in different rooms if possible. Keep their feeding in different rooms if possible. Keep their water in different rooms if possible. And, you know, they might get on really well and be happy to go for their peas and poos together. But, you know, just to avoid problems, at least for the first few days, take them out for their wheeze and poos separately, just so they both have some time to, to relax and do their business, as it were. OK, here's one of these bizarre ones. I'm wondering if Jane could help me, please. Our little dog, this has only started happening in the last few weeks. Whenever I turn on the cooker and the grill, she gets into a tizzy, panting, jumping up and down, ends up running from the kitchen, goes into a nearby bathroom and closes the door. All very strange. What do you think is going on? That sounds like a very unusual one. I suppose it's, is there something associated with the, the cooker or the hob that, that's causing her a bit of distress? Is there a sound or a buzzing associated with it? What I will say is dogs have a very wide hearing range, much wider and higher than we do. So it's possible there is kind of a mechanical noise that might be bothering her associated with it. But if, if let's say, you haven't changed the cooker and the grill recently and this is a new thing, that seems a little bit less likely unless it's on the blink. Um, one thing I would say is just... just just as a kind of a point of safety just make sure if, if it is gas related if you were in a gas hob or a gas cooker just make sure that there's no leak and um, again similar to hearing dogs are very very sensitive much more sensitive than we are and can be really really sensitive to smells. so just make sure that there's no gas leaking um, that might be bothering her and she might feel the need to, to get away from the stink of it because it can be something that you know pets don't like the smell of obviously as we don't and it's quite dangerous um, think as well if, if both of those things are ruled out and we're sure that everybody's safe have a little think about, is there something that's happening around the time that you're making dinner that might be off-putting to her? Is it just that she's taking you, turning on the cooker or the hob as a trigger for, right, something's going to change in the next half an hour and I need to get out of here? Um, so is, is she is she fed around that time? Is she preparing for feeding? Is Does another dog or another person enter the household? Is there some environmental change that happens around the time that you would normally cook dinner that she's simply associating you turning on the hob with what's going to happen? And if that's the case, just try and kind of decode what's going on and might be causing her a source of worry. And, you know, 
can be can be quite complex. It sounds like quite an unusual unusual situation, but you know, dogs and cats are just super sensitive little creatures, far more sensitive than we are, and they're very good at picking up on things, whether they be little cues, smells, sights, sounds. Um, so it, it can be a little bit of a puzzle to figure out. But um, have a think about those points to begin with, I think. OK. Hi, uh, Patricia and Jane. My dog is diabetic and on insulin injections twice a week. Should I give him the injection before or after food? Diabetic dog. That depends a little bit. Um, so normally, let's say insulin dependent diabetic, which in, in the vast majority of dog cases, it will be insulin dependent. Um it's it's a very personal thing. And what I would say is that depending on your dog's situation, the vet who prescribed the insulin or your current vet that you're under the care of at the moment, I think I, I wouldn't like to send you astray from your own particular situation without knowing more specifics. So I would really suggest having a chat about that with your own vet. Some vets will have a strong preference as to whether it's given before or after. Sometimes it can come down to some factors like whether your dog is a, a really great eater or a picky eater, in which case sometimes having the, the insulin to be given after the food can be helpful because you know how much they've eaten and what will be a safe dose. There are a lot of factors at play there and diabetic patients are, are never simple at the best of Times and it's quite a complex thing. So I would say really best to chat to your own vet who knows your pet well, have a really in-depth conversation about, you know, what their diet habits are and how picky they are and what diet they're on um, and make a decision. And then it's then it's really just sticking to it and being consistent with it. But I think this is one to, to go back to your own vet who knows your own personal situation. But best of luck. Is it quite common, diabetic dogs? It can be, uh, particularly in older pets, it can become quite common. So the, the major signs of diabetes that we would look out for in our middle-aged to older pets would be um, wanting to drink a lot, drinking a lot more than usual and peeing a lot more than usual. There's lots of other things that can cause that, but diabetes is really up there um, and it's very easy to test for. Sometimes weight loss or a change in appetite is another one. Sometimes we can get secondary changes in the eyes. So sometimes we can get cataract formation, similar to in humans. God, it's very um, like humans, so isn't it? Of, yeah, very, very like humans. So what I would say is if you notice any of those things in your senior pet, you know, it's always best to check it out. Diabetes is actually very, very simple to test for. So it's it's not a long or invasive process. Usually it could be done off a simple blood test. Um so I would I would encourage anybody, if you've noticed those signs in your pet, to flag that up with your vet and get some testing done. Because these guys can have a really great quality of life with treatment. It's not the end of the road. Good management means good quality of life in that case. So it's well yeah, worth, and, well and, worth and we know with humans you can develop, um, well, type 2 diabetes if you, if you put on weight in a later life. Yeah. Would it be the same for would, would, watching an animal's weight? Would that help? Watching an animal's weight can help. Usually diabetes will be associated with some weight loss, but not always. Cats are a little bit interesting. Cats can get a, a slightly different form of diabetes to dogs. And sometimes it can be influenced by weight. Sometimes it can be just influenced by inflammation and the immune response. So it is a bit of a more complex one. But certainly changes in weight when there's not been an obvious change in diet or appetite in any pet for any reason is always a big red flag that looks something's changing here. This is an early warning sign, whether it be diabetes or something else, a change in weight from what you would expect. If there's been no change in diet or appetite, is definitely something yeah, to get investigated. Alarm bells should ring. And Billy's been on. He's got eight-week-old puppies full of life. But he says they're constantly hungry. Uh, he says when they eat, you would think their little bellies are about to burst. They have been wormed. Am I doing something wrong? I feed them small amounts at a time. 
Not right. Not not really. It doesn't sound like you're doing anything wrong. Small amounts at a time is good. Make sure it's a good quality puppy food. So sometimes if it's not nutrient dense enough, they might kind of be hungry for the energy. Sometimes they can be little greedy grubbers, so they can and they can get very big bellies as a result. You've done exactly the right thing in making sure that they've been wormed because another another kind of possibility that we can have with a big puffy belly is a worm burden, which is really really common in young puppies. Um, I just make sure that you know just make sure that the worming protocol you've used is kind of as as per what your vets instructed and has been done regularly so normally they would need to be dewormed every two weeks until they're 12 weeks of age so you need to do it quite frequently really to make sure but it sounds like you got that ticked off which is which is great so i suppose it's just looking at your food make sure it's appropriate for their life stage so a puppy food and it's of good quality so have a chat with your vet if you have any doubts and they'll be able to point you in the right direction it might just be that they're being a little bit greedy i'm afraid yeah that's fun that's what puppies do isn't it it's, it's, it's part yeah. it's part of the fun and then anne has an 11 year old old dog that has gone off the hard food, the, the dog nuts, I'm, I'm assuming. So Anne said, I mm-hmm. changed it, still not interested. Been to the vet, regular occasions, they can't find anything wrong, just become a, become a fussy uh, eater. She will eat chicken, but that's all she now wants to eat. She's on treatment mm-hmm. for arthritis. Is it just an age thing with her? It can be. I think it sounds like you've done all the right things here. You've tried a dietary change that hasn't worked. And most importantly, you've been to the vet to check out whether, you know, there's a, a problem behind that change. Um, I think if it's continuing, I'd raise it again with your vet just purely because things can develop over time. So let's say we examine a patient at an early warning sign and, you know, we're not really finding anything on physical exam. A lot of the time we'll say, you know, come back in a month or two to me if this is still continuing or sooner if it's any worse, because a, a subtle clue might have developed that we'd be able to find as vets on a physical examination that might not have been there the first time. So, you know, unfortunately, science doesn't always play by the rules. It can take a little while for, for things to develop to be able to be diagnosed. So just if it is continuing, represent to your vet, just reiterate your concerns and I'm sure they'll take a second look, see if anything has changed. Um, it can sometimes be be change, behavioural change. So sometimes if they're getting some of the good tasty stuff, they're getting some chicken, they're getting some of the really nice human food. Sometimes they can get very wily about it and start kind of turning their nose up at everything else because they know eventually You'll we're going to cave as owners yeah. and we'll give in and we'll give them the good stuff. So, you know, it really depends on the personality of your pet. I'm sure you'll know them very well. So you'll, you'll probably probably have a sense yourself of as to whether that's a likely thing for them or not um, but you know well done with what you've done so far it's just I, I would just keep an open mind maybe reassess okay. with your vest again they're, they're smart creatures okay listen have a great week we'll chat again next Thursday Jane thank you for that you too thank Thanks. you Patricia bye bye uh, that is Jane Pickett the Islandwood Veterinary Hospital in Newmarket part of the Mill Street Veterinary Group an email in on this, the doll debates that have been going on and we, we spoke only this morning about what was a very heated debate on immigration yesterday when the group of rural independent TDs uh, raised uh, the topic that has led to an email in from Dennis and Castle Marcher to say Patricia recently during doll debates particularly on the Helen McEntee vote and then the immigration doll debate yesterday I was flabbergasted by some of the language used on both sides of the house in the doll. My point is, we as people of Ireland voted for these politicians and surely there must be standards with no room for hate speech, no room for name calling and point scoring during doll debates. Ireland needs to be progressive and our doll needs leaders at this time and the Count Corla needs to be in control at all times in the doll. There is no room for cheap rhetoric and that's from Dennis in Castle Martyr. 
think a lot of people would agree with you on that, Dennis. And Sheila was back. Sheila was the one who was giving tips on hiding her money and she puts it in different pockets and she always wears old clothes when she goes shopping. And I was wondering why the old clothes? And Sheila says, yes, Patricia, the old clothes are to say, oh, I'm not worth robbing. And as for the money down my bra, I'm not bashful. I take it out of the counter. I even bought a goat at Tallow Fair in September and to the astonishment of the seller, the money came out of my bra. That's where I leave you for today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing Nick Riches with you for the afternoon. And we'll talk to you tomorrow morning for the last one of the week, tomorrow morning at 10. Court today on C103. With Corrigan Insurance's McCroom, now part of McCarthy Insurance Group. They don't just talk the talk, they walk the walk. CMIG.ie. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.